Please turn in your Bibles to Timothy chapter 2. I'll be there in a minute. I'd like to make a few comments this morning about not only about an issue and a principle with the book, but about something of the ministry that I've been called to also. And kind of explain, maybe, uh, what my limitations are and whatever. The title of this sermon is about the gift of teaching. I found out that I had the gift of teaching in 1979 and I started teaching Sunday school. In 2002, God called me to preach. And I learned that I've got this gift of teaching, a spiritual gift that God gave to me. And I want to explain a little bit of that too because I found it. So many people that are in church every Sunday don't understand that. When he called me to preach, before then I was a teacher. My, my motivation for teaching was that if you had a problem, I could teach you what the solution to that problem was and then you could take that solution and correct your problem. I never went back to anybody that I spoke to unless they came to me. That was one way I identified the gift of teaching. And then when I was called to preach, I found that I had the responsibility then of the spiritual level of all the people who chose to listen to me on a regular basis. That's a different responsibility. Now, my daughter is a trained teacher. She was educated by the college up here and has a master's degree to teach. We were at a church together several years ago, and I found that the people in the church kept asking her to teach the Bible. She kept trying to explain to them that that was not her calling. So please understand something, folks. Those who teach the Bible in any church, it doesn't matter who it is, they need to have the gift of teaching. That is the only person that God is going to help constantly teach His Word. A person who is educated to teach in the secular world is not automatically equipped to teach the Bible. I was called by God to teach and God has taught me how to teach. Now someone who is not called by God to teach is not equipped to teach God's Word. And I've been in churches where they were rounding up teachers 
and they were trying to find somebody who would volunteer because somebody had to have this class. They came to me one time and said, would you pray that we'll have more teachers? I said, well, what kind of problem you got? Well, we've got nine classes and we don't have but eight teachers. I said, well, I've got one of them. How many people are you talking about? About 15. I said, well, I've taught 65 in a Sunday school class before. Have them come all together and we'll teach them all. Oh, we can't do that. We've got to divide them by grade and number. I said, okay, whatever you want to do. But God's word is God's word. And I've learned that people five can understand a certain amount of it as well as people who are 95. What they've got to do is to hear it from the book just like it's written. The Holy Spirit takes over then. You see, I know I can't teach you anything. I can organize and research God's word and his principles and make you aware of it. Then it takes the Holy Spirit working in your heart to make you believe it. So my job is to research and organize God's word and make you aware of it. But you got to understand something. I teach the Bible. Now some of that teaching gift spills over into your life. I also became a horse trainer. I teach horses. I also am a dog trainer. I've taught dogs and successfully done that. Now I got into it really good years ago when I first learned that I had the gift of teaching by telling some young mothers that it was the same principle teaching their kids as it was teaching dogs and horses. I won't do that again. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, I've had horse trainers ask me, where did you learn this? I've been knowing you through your whole career. How did you know to do this? Where did you learn it? Who did you learn it under? And I said, you're going to laugh, but I learned it in the Bible. But wait a minute, there is no horse training in the Bible. I said, no, there's not. But the man who created the horse and the dog and the children wrote the Bible. And he knows better how to do it than anybody else does. And if you learn those principles of teaching the Bible, it will spill over into teaching other things the same thing. The principles are the same. They really are. I do not mean to downgrade any human child, but the principles are the same. The basic principle you use for teaching anything. Sometimes I can't give you an answer to a problem you have from the scriptures. Now, I can always maybe give you tools to where you can better understand the solution to your problem through the work of the Holy Spirit that is in your life. But I can't give you an answer to every issue that comes up in our daily lives because I do believe that all truth is in the Bible. 
but you've still got to find it. And it's a pretty thick book. And God has got to show you where that is. Because I have read verses for 60 years. And God showed me what they really meant after 60 years of reading So I'm constantly in training myself. A lot of the things I share with you on Sunday morning, I learned in the last two weeks. Not the whole Bible. I've been reading it since I was three or four and could read and be taught in a beginner Sunday school class. But you just don't learn it all at one time. God says he gives it to you as you need it. I've had people say, could you come and teach us this? I said, no. Why? Because I don't don't know it. But I've heard you teach. You know how to teach it. I can't teach you that because God has never taught me that. And that's the way it works. Now let me say this. A spiritual gift, and there's nine of them. There's a gift of giving and helps and exhortation and teaching, and teaching, preaching is the same thing. Every teacher, one of the qualifications for every preacher is that he be a person who can teach you. I've listened to people talk about preachers with different styles and how some of them slobber and some of them holler and some of them run up down the aisle. That all has to do with personal. It doesn't have to do with what is taught. But a person has got to be called to teach to get all the help that God has offered to God-given, called teachers of his word. Now one other, one other thing. We all see everything differently. You know, those of you who've been here a while, know that I have taught that and preached that just about every Sunday. We are not supposed to be clones of each other. I said one time that I couldn't be a member of a big church in Birmingham because I didn't have enough button-down Oxford Cross Church and enough khaki britches. Because you go to that church and all of them have got on uniforms. They wear the same thing. They're trying so hard to be alike each other. But see, God has created us differently, folks. And he gives us different gifts. Here's a drunk laying in the gutter. And three Christians come along. And one of them says, here, here's $20. Go and get yourself cleaned up. And turns and walks away. And another one comes and says, here, let me help you clean up. And get up out of this mess. And straighten this, this problem you've got out. And another one says, You need Jesus. Doesn't offer a wet hanky or whatever. Says you need Jesus. If you had Jesus, that would straighten you out. And somebody says, which one of them's right? But you see, all of them are right. All of them are right. The first one approached the problem with money because he had the gift of giving. The second one approached the problem with the gift of helps because they had the the gift of help. The third one had the gift of evangelism. And Jesus to the evangelist is the answer to everything. 
almost to the extent of not doing anything else. So what I'm trying to say is God intended for us to be different. He intended us to see things different because my Bible says that the body of Christ, the church, needs the whole body. It can't do without one single bone. So God planned the church of Jesus Christ to be like that, to cover every kind of issue, to have a specialist on the premises to take care of any problem that we've got. And that's the reason we can't all approach it the same way. Now, there's a joke that's been going on since I've been pre uh, teaching. Somebody I heard one time said, don't ask Joe Clark what time it is. He's got to tell you how to build a wife. You'll be there for an hour. That is part of my gift of teaching. When I got the gift of teaching at salvation, when I was born again, God, at my 10-year-old, God gave me the gift of teaching, but I didn't know it until I was 39. But I've always had to explain stuff. Didn't know why, but I did. So that fits in with the gift of teaching, explaining what you're trying to teach. So that goes along with each gift, and each gift can be misused. But I have the gift of teaching. And I'd like to show you something. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. Paul here in Timothy, in the two books of Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, is two letters Paul wrote to Timothy ex, ex, trying to educate him, a young man, on how to be a God's preacher. And so a lot of the instructions to preachers are in the books of Timothy. In the second chapter of 2 Timothy, verse 14, this says, Paul tells Timothy, of these things put them in remembrance. Who is them? Whoever's listening to him. Make them remember Timothy, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. That phrase means that things that you can't use don't talk about stuff that can't be used to your advantage or to your profit. But to the subverting of the hearers, I never looked that word up, but I looked up the word subverting to see exactly what it meant. And what it's talking about here is Paul tells Timothy, don't talk about things that will be of no profit to the people who are listening to you. And besides that, turn them upside down on what they've just heard. That's what that means, to turn the hearers upside down to confuse them, to make them not understand what's going on. Now look at verse 15. His instruction to Timothy was to study, to show thyself approved unto God. In other words, when I present myself to you, 
that I show you a person who is doing what God approves of in an approved way. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed that I don't have to stand up here and be embarrassed because I didn't prepare. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I want you to look at what that phrase limits. It says rightly dividing. That word in their language meant to make a straight cut. When I look at the book, I have got to understand what I'm reading and to make it straight to everybody. No wiggling around and, and saying maybe this or maybe that, but before I present the information to you, I've got to know that I know what I'm talking about. And in my life, God confirms that. I say, Lord, is that what you're trying to say to me? And if he says yes, then I tell you. If he doesn't give me an answer or says no, I won't talk it. I won't stand up here and repeat it to you. In one of my early classes, in a church Sunday school class, I had a lady stand up in the back, and she said, Mr. Joe, if you're preaching about this, if that's so, what about this verse back here in the Old Testament? And she was right. And I said, Lord, don't ever let me get caught in that situation again where someone can so easily find out that I'm wrong about what I'm talking about. Because here's what I'm doing. I'm talking about what you said, not what I said. And that brings another issue. As a person who is known to teach the Bible, either as a teacher or a preacher, I really don't have the privilege of having an opinion about anything. I don't share my opinion. I don't agree sometimes with your opinion because I don't know. When we're talking about things that I have not learned out of the Bible and that God has not confirmed with me, I keep real quiet <laughs> because I'm afraid that you might think that my opinion is God's opinion. Until I know I'm teaching it, I won't give you my opinion about things. But I'm limited to the Bible. I can have God's opinion about the Bible, but I'm limited to the book. When we talk about the weather or any other subject, I stand in the back and try to keep quiet if I can because I'm not allowed an opinion that might make you think that because I'm up here on Sunday morning that everything I think about everything is okay. And it's not. Because when I turn around and walk down there, as far as the Bible's concerned, I really don't have that much judgment about it, about it as I do when I'm supposed to be preaching. Please understand that. This is a God-called thing. And we joke about preachers heard about it and went instead of being called and sent. That is important, people. Because if you cannot see God speaking to you through your preacher, you need to find another preacher. Now that's just the way it is. I was called 
to teach the Bible. But my calling, my God's backing about that is only about Scripture. Now, some of you who've been around here a while have heard me say that we people, humans, have a natural evil side to us. Hopefully, and most of us here in the Bible Belt believe this, that as Jesus moves into a person's life, that person's going to change. I've been asked, why in the world would the evangelical support this guy or that guy? Well, he does this and he does that. Yes, he does. But you've got to understand, people in my part of the country think if he mentions that he is part of, that Jesus is part of his life, that he's going to change. And he's continually getting better. And that's the reason they might, might support a person like that. But for the most part, folks, if you need any other more obvious example than to take the occurrence of the death, burial, and resurrection of the most important person that ever walked the, 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 the streets of this earth. Jesus was put on the cross and killed, died, and then resurrected in three days. And in 2,000 years, we the people, will be supporting it by calling it Easter, which is a pagan holiday, and by buying new clothes for Easter, by dyeing eggs different colors, and toting them around in a basket. Amen. Now that's what we do with the greatest thing that ever happened in this book. So what else are we going to do about everything else? So please understand something. We put a great deal of respect in what is called education. And we look up to educated people. But educated people a lot of times don't, and I'm not talking against educated people. I've spent a lot of my own money trying to educate myself. But education does not speak for God. Please understand that. I had a preacher in my past that I discussed with the former president of the Moody Bible Institute. The man had three master's degrees and two doctorate degrees, had been in a class he bragged for 28 years. And the president of the Moody Bible Institute said it sounded to him like he wasn't even saved. Please understand that, that the gift of teaching is a calling by God. And it doesn't have anything to do with education. A man that I was in church with 40 years ago, 50 years ago maybe, yeah, closer to 50, called me and said, my son is getting called to preach. Could I send him by and talk to him? I said, yeah, I'll talk to him. So he came by and he said, my congregation heard I was being called to preach and they want me to go to seminary. What do I need to do? I don't have the money to go to seminary. I'm, just, I'm living on retirement. I said, let me tell you what God needs. God needs a man 
who is willing to listen to him and sell what he tells him to tell. The prophets in the Old Testament, God said, if they say one word that I didn't tell them to say, I'm going to put a curse on them. Now about these other guys, I don't know, but I have got the, the, the threat of a curse on me if I change one word of what's in the book. That's the reason I'm careful. Look over at the first chapter of 2 Timothy. I want to show you something. Verse 7. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I've been knowing of that verse for years. I've studied it and I've taught some of it. But I have been digging into that verse in the last week like you would not believe. Because it says here that God gives us a sound mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, that to me represents one of the things we have to be so careful about. Does that mean he only gives us a sound mind? That if you've got anything but a sound mind, it didn't come from God? I didn't say that. I said sometimes we can take a statement like that and believe things like that, though. Now, last week at the end of the sermon, we got in a discussion that had to do with voices speaking in the minds, in the heads of believers. It was a very interesting thing. And let me say this, I appreciate the discussion. You know, I always ask, has anybody got anything to say? They got any questions to ask or whatever? This is the way I found out where you are of what I just said. And I used, or I, I made the statement that I did not believe that a demon can get in, enter, and control the mind of a believer. Now, my Bible has taught me that. Until we all leave this earth and carry the Holy Spirit with us, and the Holy Spirit is not present on the earth to keep sin out of the church, then Satan and his demon world can only do so much to Christians. And they do it with God's permission. They only do what they're allowed to do. And I believe, my Bible teaches me, that that demon cannot get into the mind of, an unbelie of a believer. He can't a believer. An unbeliever, but he can't a believer. Please understand that with my tangled up tongue. Now, the th thing came up about Christians with dementia. So I've gotten in conversations this week. One lady, young lady at the barn has just gotten a degree in psychiatry from the University of Alabama this past week, and I asked her some pertinent questions. 
and she said the secular education of psychiatry outlaws saying anything to a counselee that involves spiritual or religious subjects. They're not allowed to talk about it. So you see, the world, people, us, have taken some of our most important sciences and completely taken them out of the hand of God. It's not related to God anymore. Okay? The other thing, that the only people I know every occurrence in my scriptures where people were having people speaking to them in their minds, it was a demon that did the talking. And that is another assumption that I made as I made the statement that I made. Now, people got bringing up issues that are not in the Word. I didn't think. I didn't know of any. Because you see, when I get in my Bible dictionary and I look up the sound mind, I find out that the opposite of a sound mind, those who do not have this sound mind that God has given you, the Word is insanity. But you see, the medical community does not call dementia insanity. So where does the voices come from in the mind of Christians who have dementia? All of us have had experience with people who have had to suffer through with that. And I'm here to tell you at this point in my life and in my teaching career, I do not know. I don't know where it comes from. Now, like I said, I talked with this young lady who, within the last two weeks, got her degree from UAB in psychiatry. I've got a call in to a psychiatrist who has been in this church several times from Selma. I haven't spoken to him yet. Trying to find out how human things that Jesus dealt with on an everyday basis when he walked the street have all of a sudden become something altogether different. And you cannot go to the scriptures and explain what's going on there. Yet. And I say yet because I'm not there yet. It's like Paul said, I'm admitting to you I haven't arrived. So I know there's stuff left for me to learn and God does that on a timing basis and until I need it, a lot of the times God doesn't show me. So, he may show me and he may not. He doesn't always feel like he has to explain why he does things, everything to me. But now let me say this. Those gifts, those spiritual gifts that we talked about are what are known as motivations. They are the why we do what we do. The spiritual gifts that God gives people, whether they're going to give people money or help clean them up, has to do with the motivation of why 
they're doing what they're doing and where they see the solution. And we're all different. And we need to, we need to respect that difference. And don't say because he didn't give the same answer I did that he's not right. That's the reason I've said before. We're all different. And it says in the 14th chapter of Romans that each man has to answer to his master. So because you're doing something that looks to me like it's upside down and crazy, if God is pleased with it, I've got to accept that. That's what it says. So that's the reason I do. And that's the reason I don't jump on everybody that does things different than I do. And don't believe differently than I do. Simply because it may be coming from my God, which is your God also. I do not believe that voices, because of what God just said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, I do not believe that the voices in people's head come from God. But let me say this. There are some things that I've learned this week that I didn't know before this week. When dementia was brought up last week, I got quiet, if you noticed, and I told some of the folks that I would find out exactly what they were talking about later, and that's what I did. The Bible does not mention dementia. But now let me say this. <laughs> Modern-day scientists have taken things like this and given it a name. To my knowledge, there is a mental health issue to me, is something that affects the brain to the extent that the brain will not work properly for you. The group of Christian counselors that use the Bible as their handbook, I have studied since 1980. I know what they say. And the first thing they do when a person who seems to have some type a brain problem comes to them, the very first thing they do is to give that person a total medical examination of their brain. They want to make sure it's getting plenty of blood, that there's no damage to it, that there has been no clot, that it works like it's supposed to work. And then they start dealing with the problem because they have learned that there are physical things that get in the way of proper thinking. And they rule those out before they ever deal with it. So they know that they are dealing with a brain that is healthy enough to think right if they can figure out how to make it right. If you will, turn to Daniel chapter 4. I found one situation in the Bible where the modern day medical doctors treat it like it's a present day problem with the mind. Daniel chapter 4. I don't know how well you know Daniel. 
But Daniel, you know, is about Daniel and the lion's den and the three Hebrew children and the fiery furnace. That's what most everybody believes about Daniel. But some of the best instruction in the whole book comes out of the book of Daniel. It talks about that Daniel prayed and was looking for an answer from God and an angel came from God and touched Daniel on the shoulder and Daniel went to his face on the just like you'd, you'd hit him over the head with a club. He was face down on the ground and then the, Daniel, then the angel said, get up, Daniel, get up on your feet. Well, I mean, it's like, well, if you want me on my feet, why don't you knock me down to start with? And then the angel tells Daniel, look, from the very first time you ever committed yourself to God, we, the angels, have been instructed to answer your prayers. But you see, two weeks ago when you prayed, I was sent to answer your prayer. But a demon caught me, and me and the demon have been fighting for two weeks. And if it hadn't been for another angel coming in and helping me double-team him, I wouldn't have been able to get away today. And I've got to go ahead and tell you the answer to your prayer so I can get back and keep him from getting beaten up by the demon. That's everyday talk, folks. That is the kind of stuff that happens in the spirit world around us every single day. And as I've been trying to tell you, you wake up every morning in a war. And you are the prize because Satan is trying to destroy God's business and you just happen to be God's business. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon when the Hebrews were sent to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king that pulled up Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the Hebrew children to make, and they did that in those days, to make the smartest people of one kingdom that has been subdued bring it into their kingdom and use their, their wisdom to make their kingdom smarter. And that's what would happen to Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he didn't know what it meant, and he called Daniel. He called his wise men, and they couldn't answer it. So then one guy told him, said, there's a guy down there that, that you're not thinking about that I believe could answer anything here. He said, send for him. So he sent Daniel up there, and Daniel told him what the dream meant. And what it meant was that Nebuchadnezzar was thinking himself to be more powerful than God. And he said, if you don't quit doing it, God's going to bring you down. Well, it said it went on for a while like that. Of course, the king gave Daniel a prominent place, number two or three man in the kingdom, because he could answer, he could answer the dream and tell him the meaning of it. But then one day, it just, just happened to be the day when Nebuchadnezzar says, I am like the Most High God. And God sent Daniel to him. You go to him and you tell him, that's it. He just crossed the line. It's fixing to happen to him. Verse 16 says, 
chapter 4, verse 16. Let his heart be changed from a man's heart, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. That verse says, God said, I'm going to take the man, the human heart out of him. I'm going to put a, a, an animal's heart in him, and it's going to stay there until seven years pass. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the Holy One. It came from heaven, he said. To the extent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and give it to whomever, whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. You don't believe people in government have been placed there by God? Read that. God sets up over us the basest of men, the lowest of men. There's another truth to be found in Daniel. But God took Daniel's, uh, took Nebuchadnezzar's heart away from him and put in an animal's heart. Look at verse 34. And at the end of the days, at the end of seven years, Nebuchadnezzar had served his time. He'd been out in the pasture on his all fours eating grass like a cow. And at the end of the days... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. I made a mistake, people. I got up off my hands and knees and I learned that there is somebody much more important than me and he is Jehovah God. So he learned his lesson. Verse 36, And at the same time, my reason returned under me. God took away from him his understanding and his reason if you have no reason and have no understanding, you can't be a ruler of any kind. The particular thing that God did to him is called boanthropy. It is a disease, what the present day medical society calls a psychological disorder. That's the way they name it. Where people think they're animals, grazing animals, and they constantly want to get down on their hands and knees and eat grass. They've got no reasoning. They've got no understanding. 
And several cases of that has been discovered in the years since psychiatry came into being in the early 20s, 1920s. That's, that's as old as the science of psychiatry has been around. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. All those works are true, and his ways, judgments, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase or humble. You remember the number one thing on God's hate list in Proverbs chapter 6, verse about 16. There are six things that God hates, yea, there are seven that are abomination to Him. And the number one thing on God's hate list is a proud look. Drinking, smoking, gambling, dancing, all these things that preachers preach against all the time, none of them are on the list. The first one is a proud look. The second one is a lying tongue. And the third one is feet that are swift to do mischief, cause trouble among his saints. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I learned that anybody who wants to be a smart at it and think they know more than anybody else, God is able to bring him down. What more embarrassing situation could the king of the world at that time, the most impressive ruler that lived, have to do than be on his hands and knees out in the pasture while folks are driving down the road eating grass. But you know the interesting thing when he returned to his former position God gave him back what he had before. Now, he had boanthropy, seven years. Modern psychiatrists have given it a name. And it is a disease, they say. They don't say God gave it to you because they don't say God gives you anything. But the point I'm trying to make, I did not know when we had the discussion last week that there was another mental illness, the present day psychiatrists call it, in the Bible. I didn't know that. In my talks with people this week, I learned that the rules of psychiatry are that they cannot make any comment that would affect anybody's religious beliefs. So then, I think about the time I sat at my kitchen table and talked with a pediatrician because she was telling me that the medical school 
same medical school, UAB, that she had graduated from had taught her that removing a fetus from a womb was just like taking out an appendix. No more, no less. With my help, God showed her that's not true. So then, what I'm saying, I can't answer the discussion that was made here last week. A Christian who has voices in their head, I don't know where they're coming from. I do not believe they come from God. If you remember three or four sermons ago, I mentioned that Paul said, I found in the seventh chapter of Romans, I found that when I would do good, my mind tells me I'm supposed to do right, there is evil present within me. Now you think for one moment if you want to, that was at a time when Paul had spent three years being educated in the things he wrote in the scriptures by Jesus Christ himself. He said so. So we never, this is the other things I've learned, we never probably get to a place to where there is no evil inside of us. When Jesus comes in, we start getting better. That's called sanctification. And he cleans us up that he might present, that God cleans us up that he might present to his own son a bride who has no problem. That's us, the church. And he's trying to clean us up. We don't always cooperate but he's trying. But until that day, we are face to face with Christ. We will have an evil present within us. I do know, but based on my studies, that we have a subconscious. That subconscious can speak to us. I know that the Holy Spirit can speak to us in our head. The subconscious or our conscience can speak to us in our head. And I know that demons can speak to us in our head. At this point, that's what I know. I would challenge anybody to see if they can find anything in Scripture that might give me more information about what we were talking about. Because you see, when you talked about that and asked that question, and I couldn't answer it, and I'm supposed to be responsible for what you know and what you don't know, then I had to respond. But I had to tell you some of where I'm coming from in order for you to understand. I don't know this whole book. But of what I know, I've just shared with you. I plan to continue praying, to continue talking with spiritual people. I talked about some so-called Christian counselors, but from what I was told, I was told in the 80s that there were two in Birmingham. I sent people from my church to talk to those people because I couldn't help them. And when they came back and told me what those counselors, Christian counselors, told them, it went against what my Bible was teaching me. So I found out that every Christian counselor 
does not give you what Jesus gives you. But there is a group of what they call N-O-U-T-H-E-T-I-C, Neuthetic Counselors, that get their advice from the Bible. One of the accounts I got is that one of those Neuthetic Counselors, people who have been trained in psychiatry who got saved and chose to follow God's way rather than their teaching. One was assigned to the VA hospital in San Francisco, California with from 190 to 200 patients on a regular basis in that hospital. They had three secular psychiatrists in that hospital that turned out eight people a year out of that 200. This one neuthetic counselor, one God-following counselor that is trained in psychiatry went into that hospital and within one year was turning out nearly 60% of the patients in that hospital using the other psychiatrist's information as proof of sanity. So what I'm trying to tell you is this, if you didn't get it, God is more important than modern day medicine. Understand me, please. And if it comes down to a crossroad where you've got to, to follow one or the other, please, my vote is to follow God. The one who created us knows more about us, and I learned that with my brain tumor in April and January of 2015. I got to asking neurologists and neurosurgeons questions about my brain. What's going on with my brain? What's happening to me? Why is there fluid up there? All those things. They couldn't answer any of them. I'm amazed that we've got people that have been studying the human brain for hundreds of years that can't tell you what's going on with it. <laughs> I found out that they don't know near as much as I thought they did. And God created it before the beginning of time. <laughs> so I'm saying this to you. I learned some horse training out of the Bible. And every horse trainer I know tells me there's none in there. But there is. And I can tell you what it is. I can show you where it is. If you want to be a horse trainer, I can take you to principles and show you how to be a better horse trainer than any ungodly horse trainer around you. Because God showed it to me. So what I'm saying is, all of us, especially of you who may be getting close to where I am, about 81, and have all the things wrong with you that I've got. I have to deal with my doctors on a God basis. And I told my cardiologist, wait a minute. He said, we don't want to lose you, Mr. Clark. I said, you ain't got anything to do with that. God is in charge of living and dying, and you need to understand this. When we talk about near-death experiences, 
that doesn't have to include God. Ungodly people can see things in their head and tell you that it was heaven. And if it shines, then maybe you believe it. I don't know. I've never read those books because I don't want to be misled. But I'm going to tell you this. That in my book, it said, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Nobody has ever come back from the dead except Jesus and those people that were raised at his crucifixion and the people that he raised himself. They may think they died, but they didn't, not according to my Bible. There's only one time a person's going to die. There's no such stuff as reincarnation. And you can quit thinking about that because nobody's coming back except somebody God raised. Now the beauty about us as Christians and believers is we don't ever die to start with. You won't even lose conscience. I told them at the graveside, at the funeral yesterday, the scripture says, there's no place in scripture that says we even, when our spirit leaves our body that we even go unconscious. We're still aware of everything that's around us. And Kay Douglas that I buried yesterday, from the moment her heart quit beating, knew everything that was going on around her. And they have measured the twinkling of an eye, and it's like one-eighth of a second, and in the twinkling of an eye, we are face-to-face with Jesus. And we know everything at that point. And I'll tell you this too. I believe the people that have chosen hell instead of heaven and Satan instead of Jesus Christ, the second they die, they know exactly everything we've been telling them all along. They're not confused then. They have made a choice and they have chosen to be where they are. So that comes down to it. We, any of us who may not be born again, have a chance. And that's we can go back and look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it and be saved. And you don't need a church aisle. You don't need a preacher to shake his hand. You don't need to sign a card as you're joining the church. It happens in here. And it can happen to you. And regardless of what a preacher told me one time, it can happen on the golf course on Sunday afternoon. He said he didn't believe God would save a man on the golf course. Well, I believe a man can save a man anywhere. God can. Now, please understand, I'm going to continue my search because it's been part of my search all along to find out where voices come from in people's heads, and it's not demons. But at this point, I don't know. There's a lot of questions to be answered when we assume that we know what is going on because the medical community, for the best I can understand, in my own experience, has gotten a little bit away from God. (laughs) It's a confused person who has to try to operate within the medical regulations today and still serve God in a way that it can be said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. There are some that do it. 
and I appreciate and praise them. Please, if you have any prayers for me, pray that I can find those kind of people in the medical community because that's who I want to listen to me when I share my problems with them because I want them to know who I serve and why I serve that way. Don't mean to let you down. I'll try to get more tools that we can all figure out what's going on. But to this extent, that's all I have. And I'm limited. I mean, I can Google like anybody. I can read all kind of extra biblical material like anybody. But they don't tell me what God says. And that's what I'm going on. The truth of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for teaching us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for giving me an opportunity to share with these people where I am and the limitations that I have. Lord, I pray that we all might honor you and praise you and serve you like Nebuchadnezzar chose to do without having to eat grass like a cow. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.